Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the VolQuest podcast. I'm Eric Hay with Brent Hubs, Austin Price, and Rob Lewis. It is a busy time in college football. It's a busy time for the Tennessee Volunteers, as the Vols will be Orange Bowl bound December the 30th down at the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, squaring off against the ACC champion Clemson Tigers. Plenty of coverage for that. Hoops, recruiting. All that and more over VolQuest.com, and you can get your stocking stuffer $10 for a one-year subscription of VolQuest.com. That is $10 for a one-year subscription of VolQuest.com. Get it ready for Christmas. All right, guys, Tennessee's Orange Bowl bound. Not much of a shock whatsoever once you saw Southern Cal lose the Pac-12 title game on Friday night. Austin, Tennessee's heading down to Clemson. Should be a good matchup. Yeah, you know, and we'll see who all, you know, goes in this football game, Eric. Um you know, don't expect Cedric Tillman to go. We'll see about Jalen Hyatt. Uh, we'll see about Darnell Wright. All I, I lean to Wright uh, playing in this game. Obviously, Tennessee's got the change of quarterback with uh, Joe Milton being the guy. Clemson's got their own change of quarterback with Cade Klubdick being the guy and DJ Uyangale, or sorry if I butchered that, uh, going into the transfer portal. Um, you know, early this week. So it, it's going to be interesting to kind of see. You know who opts out for Clemson. You know, they've had a few kids go to the portal too, but most of the kids going to the portal on either side are not really contributors outside of maybe a little bit of special teams. So, you know, what what starters opt out for this game for both sides will be uh, interesting to me. And I think we'll honestly tell the tale of this football game. Yeah, I think so too, Rob. Um, but regardless, I mean, there was a lot of chatter about uh, if Ohio State didn't make it into the college football playoffs. Now it's a, it's a mute point, but – uh, they would be pushing to not go to the Rose Bowl. That would push Tennessee to the Cotton Bowl and all that. It kind of worked itself out, regardless of who's going to be playing on either side. I think this, at least from a fan's perspective, um, I think more people will travel to Miami. I think this game is something a little bit more to get amped up and juiced up about here at the end of the month and going to Dallas and playing a, a two-lane. I don't think there's any doubt. I think it's a really nice matchup. I mean, I think it's very appealing. I think it'll draw TV eyeballs. I mean, Clemson is a, a national brand. I mean, Tennessee's been down, but still, you know, has a huge following. And I, I de- you know, I don't know so much about Clemson since they've been in the playoffs, so you know, with regularity. But I think my my read is that that Tennessee fans are really pleased with the bowl. And I mean, there's no comparison to Miami in January or Dallas in January. Over what? Which was it? The Kansas State or the Texas A&M? Cotton Bowl that was just, I mean, an ice storm. I mean, just horrible in Dallas in the early 2000s. Uh, that was Texas. That, that was that was Kansas State where the field Jabari was frozen. Greer, baby. The parking lot was frozen. So, yeah, I, I think there'll be a lot of Tennessee orange in, in South Beach, Miami. I think you'll have a lot of people that are, that are ready to travel. I think so, too. And uh, Tennessee is going to be the uh, away team in this matchup. Uh, Clemson will be the home team. You had both head coaches yesterday. Brent, uh, you know, he had Dabo Sweeney that was on Sunday afternoon. He was on a private jet, probably going to recruiting. And um, both head coaches really talked about the 
experience that is the Orange Bowl. And I understand with the college football playoffs where it is now, and of course it's expanding to 12 teams here in a couple of years. A lot of these bowl games are just kind of, eh, whatever, who cares. Uh, but both head coaches really kind of beating the, the drum that, hey, this is an experience. This is where some of the best college football games have ever been played. We're excited about being there. Dabo Sweeney said, you know, he was asked about uh, keeping your team motivated to play. He said, you know, you, you won 11 games, you won the ACC title, you're going to a New Year's Six Bowl game. If you don't want to play, I got nothing for you, essentially. So sounds like both these head coaches are ready to roll. Yeah, and, and I mean, look, what are they supposed to say? We don't want to be there. We're, we're not interested. I mean, I think Nick Saban's got a challenge. Didn't he say Kansas State had a bad law or what? T Kansas State was a, a bad loss for TCU because it was basically a bad team or that was the implication there. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's easier for Tennessee to be motivated um, because they haven't been in this environment. They haven't been in, in, in a New Year's Six than it is for Clemson, who's used to being in a playoff. They've been more consistent in the playoff. But again, Austin said it best. Who's going to play for both teams? Uh, who's truly interested in playing? Who's opting out? Who's transferring? Uh, all those things. I mean, there, there, there's the unknown variable. I do think this game is a marquee game because of the, of the time slot. Uh, and I know some people wanted to go to the Sugar Bowl and because of the history of the Sugar Bowl. And they all, you know, talk about 85, 86 and, and, and relive that moment. But the reality is the Sugar Bowl's a brunch game. I mean, it's 11 a.m. kickoff uh, local time. Um, ahead of the college football playoff. You're not going to get a whole lot of uh, of chatter about you leading into, you know, as that game is the lead into the college football semifinals. So uh, I, I think playing on the 30th at night when the only game in town uh, under the lights probably helps motivate teams a little bit more as well. So we'll see. Other big news for Tennessee football this weekend, of course, outside of the, uh, the, the Orange Bowl bid, was that Alex Golish is taking a job at South Florida. Uh, we knew it was going to be a matter of when and not if, but didn't know if it was going to be this close into the offseason or maybe it would stretch out next offseason. Regardless, uh, he had the itch to become a head coach, and he's going to get that opportunity at South Florida. Uh, Austin Price, uh, how big of a loss is this for Tennessee? I mean, it's a loss. Um, you know, at, at the same time, you know, uh, I think Coach Heupel um, has always had his hand on the pulse of everything that was being called. Uh, coach Gullish called plays. Um, I think a lot of times Coach Heupel would say, hey, this is kind of what I would like to see on this series. And Coach Golish would call the plays that Coach Heupel wanted to be, you know, be called. And, you know, I think Coach Golish did a really great job with, uh, you know, with game plan hover. And, you know, uh, to, to think that they won't miss him would be a mistake. But at the same time, I don't think that's the end-all, be-all. And the offense is falling apart without Alex Golish, you know. The offense was scoring points before Golish and Hype got together at UCF. The first year, he, he was just kind of learning, and it was all Hype's deal. Then he kind of got Hype's trust, and so thus he got more responsibility. And uh, kudos to him. I mean, head coach at 38 at South Florida, and, you know, we'll see what he can do down there. But, uh, you know, he, he's definitely earned uh, that promotion. Yeah, and, I, I mean, I think he can help to incorporate some stuff. I mean, he brought some ideas in in the run game and some yeah. things with the tight ends that I think was important. I think the biggest thing is they became – kind of in each other's head, right? You could anticipate kind of what one was thinking and the other was thinking, which helped that offense roll really fast. And then you got a quarterback in Hendon Hooker that operated really fast, and that thing really took off. So um, I, I think Alex Golish is a smart guy. I think he's a good football coach. I think he's taken on a, a heck of a challenge in Tampa. Uh, I know that their investment is in, improving up there. Um, 
you know, in his introductory press conference where the, the, the donors were there, not the, not the preliminary, the, the team meeting one, but the, the formal press conference, he spent a couple of minutes talking and, and pleading with the collective and for NIL money, because that's the world we live in now. And, and I think there's challenges at that level to hold on to your players, the good players to keep them from transferring out, which is what makes those jobs more challenging than they've been in the past. So, um, he's got his hands, you know, he's got his hands full, Rob, but I, I think any conversation you've had with Alex Golish or any time you heard him at the podium, um, you, you had the feeling he was a going to be a head coach and you had the feeling he wanted to be a head coach as soon as he could potentially be a head coach. Yeah. Really smart guy. And I, and I'm with AP. I mean, you don't, Tennessee just had the, you know, number eight, number one ranked offense in the country. You don't lose to coordinators and just sugarcoat it. But at the same time, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good barometer or indicator of, where your program is when people are trying to come and poach your, your coordinator for head coaching jobs hadn't happened around here in a long time. And I mean, I think it's going to be, you know, I think Josh is going to be in a similar situation where Rick Barnes is in. When you have guys marching out off your bench to be, to run their own programs, your candidate pool, it, it, it can, can, can be pretty sexy. And I, I don't think that, that Josh will have a very hard time attracting coaching talent to come and, and, and work for him. Here's the one thing about Josh Heupel that everybody needs to understand. This is not a negative, but this is his offense. It's an offense he's very protective of. It, it's a it's a scheme that he's very, very protective of. Um, he, he doesn't just open the door to let anybody see it. He's not going to turn the keys over to anybody um, that, that he hires, which is why Austin, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to say he may call plays next year, not just in the bowl game, but but next year and go back to what he's done in the past and then groom a guy moving forward. So we'll see how he elects to go. But for people looking for a big-name OC to come in here and Josh Heupel hands him the play sheet and, and the playbook and says, hey, go go figure this out and learn it, uh, That's he's very, very protective of his offensive system. Well, newsflash to everybody, and, and I, I could end up being wrong, but I don't see that happening. I see that this is going to be a tight end hire. That's what I've been stressing. You know, I, I think this is more than likely – going to be a tight end hire and, and, you know, with more responsibilities than just tight ends, like game plan responsibilities, those type of things. I'm not even sure that he'll go the route of giving the, the offensive coordinator title to that person. Maybe he does. It depends on who he can get and what they're willing to come for. But, you know, I, I could see them potentially giving it to Joey Halsley and starting to groom him. He's 36. You know, he's, he's still relatively young, period, but he's still relatively young in terms of coaching career, um, having taken some time off and that type of thing. But he has a grasp of what Hypo wants to do. And so um, I think what you'll see here is if it is the tight end hire, that should tell you what you need to know about who's calling the offense long term. And I don't and I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, I don't think people should take that as a bad – I mean, it's not like Nick Saban going out and hiring a guy that he's essentially going to turn one side of the football over, over to. I mean, Heupel is going to be in charge of the offense no matter who the coordinator is. So that's, you know, just because you're not paying some dude $1.8 million a year, you know, that, that's an established name. I, I don't think that's, like, like Hubbard said, I don't think that's a negative in any way because of how hands-on Josh is. So you can see a situation where if it is a tight ends hire, and especially if it's not a tight end slash co-OC or whatever, then you groom Joey Halsey. It's Josh Heupel's – it's always Josh Heupel's show, but it's really – you know, a lot of Josh Heupel calling the plays next year, but maybe potentially if they stick together for a couple of years, it could turn into what Alex Golish was with a with a Joey Halsey potentially. 
Yeah, I mean, potentially. Uh, you know, we'll see where where Josh Heupel thinks this thing goes. I mean, I, I think I think Alex Gillis did a really good job of helping game plan, put the game plan together, got a lot of things together for Josh Heupel to, to go over. I think Glenn Ellerby was a big part of that in the run game and, and putting a lot of that stuff together for the game plan too. So there'll be some adjustment on how you get ready for Saturday. Saturday is going to be very similar to what it's what it's been because Josh Heupel is going to be very hands-on in it. The challenge when you're a head coach and you want to call plays and do it, you, you, you got to have somebody during the week to help you get your stuff together because as a head coach, you've got so many responsibilities beyond sitting in the back room with the chalkboard and the clicker going, we can do this, we can do that, let's put this plan in. So you need somebody who can help get it organized and go, all right, coach, this is what I think. This is what it looks like. What do you think about this? And, and then go from there. And I think as Alex Golish grew in, in, in his relationship with Josh Heupel, that became an easier thing for Josh Heupel to kind of sign off on. Yeah, I like that. And then he got into the game. They co kind of co-called it, if you will. I think the bigger question, Austin, is how do they organize getting the plan together early in the week? And then how do they manage the, you know, the practice field in terms of, of running it for the offensive side of the ball? I would imagine Josh Heupel is going to spend even more time on that side of the ball moving forward. More time. Um, I, he trusts Glenn Everby. Uh, he trusts Joey Halsley. But at the same time, Joey's still relatively young as far as coaching career. So does he lean more on Jerry Mack? Does he lean on said person that he hires to coach tight ends? Um, you know, I, I think there's some different avenues and different ways he can go about this. I think the biggest thing, and I've seen this question thrown on the board because people have been debating, did Golish call plays? Did Golish not call plays? I, I, you know, listen, the, 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 there, there's going to be the narrative that he called plays. He absolutely called plays. But at the same time, the narrative that left town is going to tell everybody he called the plays because it helps him get out of town. So he did call plays, but it's not like it was just his show and, and Hype had just taken his hands off the wheel and, you know, Hype had, Hype had both hands on the wheel and, uh, you know, was just letting, you know, go with, put the turn signal on and, and, and signal it in. Yeah, and Rob said this earlier, Eric, and this is exactly right. When your head coach is, is, is predominantly to one side of the ball, okay, and obviously Josh Apple is an offensive coach, the offensive coordinator's role is always going to be a little bit different than the defensive coordinator's role, right? Just like Lane Kiffin's role at Alabama as the OC was different than Pete Golden's role um, as the defensive coordinator right. in Alabama. It's the same way at Georgia right now, right? I mean, you watch the sideline. I mean, how much coaching is Kirby Smart doing on defense? A lot, right? He's calling a lot of stuff. You don't see him hollering out there to Stetson Bennett very often on offense because Munkin is the offensive coordinator because Kirby's a defensive guy. So it, it's it's different in, in that way. And I think that's what fans have to understand is that that's what I'm saying. Josh Heupel is an offensive guy who's not going to turn his offense over and say, hey, it's yours. I'll see you guys on Saturday and take my headset off and what y'all call it. That's just never going to be the case. Yeah, so we'll see how this thing plays out. I mean, certainly I think we're all in agreement that it'd be more than likely uh, uh, bringing in a tight end guy, Josh Hopple having a, a heavy dose and what's going on in terms of the actual play calling, at least for year one, then grooming, promoting from within, stuff like that. But again, anything can happen. So, you know, we'll just have to see. Uh, this is a question I've been asked a lot over the last couple of days, Austin. How's this going to affect recruiting? Um, you know, Tennessee's got a, a highly touted a four-star tight end commit set to be a mid-year enrollee. Um, that and beyond, they've got a 2024 guy they want to play tight end, Jonathan Eccles, that's down there at IMG Academy that's really, really good. 
how is this going to affect those offensive prospects that Alex Golish had a big hand in either getting committed or as a heavy hand in their recruitment as of right now? I don't think it affects Ethan Davis at all. Um, in fact, he's already come out and said that. Jonathan Eccles, I mean, we'll see. I mean, you know, does Eccles, you know, decide to remain committed but, you know, start to at least explore his options? I mean, he was up here a few times for games in the fall, which is, you know, again, not right around the corner from IMG. So, I mean, like, you know, making an effort to get up here. Um, you know, I, I don't think it necessarily affects a ton. Um, again, when you think about OCs and how they affect the, the potential class, you normally think quarterback because most OCs are quarterbacks coaches, but you know, Alex was not, he was a tight ends coach. Um, so like, it's not like he has any kind of effect on a Nico or, or a Jaden Davis in 24. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, I think that, you know, does it have a small impact? I mean, yeah, maybe, but like, I don't think it affects like a kid going here or not coming here because Alex Golis left. Well, I think the I think the one place where it might affect it in the short term because not because Golish is left, but because guys don't know who the transfer portal tight ends is going to be. What does that do for a guy in the transfer portal here in short order? That's why I'll be curious to see how fast Josh Heupel goes in making a hire to replace Golish. Well, I think you'll see Heupel be a lot more hands on, um, you know, with Morlock, the shorter tight end. Um, by the way, that just sounds weird to say the shorter university tight end. There we go. Um, he's not a short guy. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you'll see him be more hands-on. I think Tennessee's going to go see him middle of the week. He has had good dialogue with Tennessee since Alex announced he was going to South Florida. I think Tennessee remains in play there. And then anybody else that they potentially look at in the portal, um, you know, I think, you know, Josh Heupel will have a bigger hand in whether he goes fast or not. Yeah, that's kind of that was leading me into my next question, guys. Uh, Brent, Brent and I discussed this a little bit on the Rocky Top Rewind the other night, uh, but you know, kind of what's that plan for getting another coach on the on the road? And and Brent said it might be uh, you know a couple of different guys depending on week by week. I think it makes most sense to put Chop on the road, um, just because you know he he does a really good job. You hear recruits talk about him a lot. Um, I think that's possible. Um, Hubbard, who else would you put on the road besides him? Well, I think that I think they probably have an offensive guy on the road this week, um, or to, to start this week, and then we'll see what happens. You know, next week, most of your class is done, yeah, so yeah. You know, a lot of guys are just going out and seeing twenty fours, and and you're going to do a lot of that in January. So I, I don't, I don't think the timeline for oh, I got to get somebody out there is is necessarily that big of a deal now. You got to get your head coach in the places that you need to be with all your midtermers and get those done, uh, which they're going to do. And then again, we've talked about this. They're going to have a bunch of those midterm guys at at bowl practice, which is good because it gives those kids a chance to understand, you know, what practice is like. It also means you don't have to worry about somebody coming in that kid's house and doing an in home visit with him for almost two weeks leading up to signing day. So that's not a bad thing either. The no. other question on what offensive guy you might put out there is who is Golish taken with him? on his staff. What, what, you know, you don't want to put an analyst on the road on, on a Monday and he's going to be, and he's on Golish's staff Wednesday or Thursday. So that's something I think you have to look at as well. Yeah. You know, when, when they had the opening with Cody Burns, I believe it was, they, those during an open time, they put chop on the road. Cause I remember him, I think he went up to like New Jersey, something like that. Um, or, or it was some, some open period when, you know, it was, it was, you know, chop that went out there recruiting over a year ago. Um, 
you know, and, and you're right. I, I think you have to look at that. I know that, you know, he did take one of the O-line GAs and is going to make him his O-line coach down at South Florida. Outside of that, I've not heard much uh, scuttlebutt about taking anybody with him. Did they not split that time with Kelsey Pope at the time? Maybe chop out one half of the week and then Kelsey Pope? Because, I mean, obviously Kelsey Pope's the one that got the job. Yeah, I don't remember. I just know Chop went out on the road at some point. I got you. I can't remember when that was. I got you. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Um, so, yeah, uh, Alex goes down to South Florida, and uh, I- I- I'm with you, Brent. I'm intrigued to see how quickly... Uh, a move is made here to bring in a tight ends coach because, again, tight end is a major, major priority in the transfer portal, which really got revved up yesterday. We saw so much movement across college football, so much movement across the SEC, a lot of movements um, in terms of quarterbacks as well around the SEC. Uh, Brent Hubbs, any any changes in the outlook of what Tennessee's goals are for this transfer portal window? No, I, I don't think so. One, one other quick note to wrap it up on Golish and the transfer portal. Remember this. I mean, hes it's not like he's been able to talk to tight end transfer possibilities other than the kid from Shorter University because, you know, you can't talk to those guys so they're officially in the portal, and he's the only one who was officially in the portal that Tennessee was, was involved with. So that could have really been the only conversation Golish would have had with, with a transfer guy um, if somebody's just gone into the portal. In terms of Tennessee and your question, Eric, about needs and – what does that look like? Um, no, I mean, I think Tennessee's needs remain the same. They want an offensive tackle uh, if they can get one. I think they would take a three technique on defense and an edge guy, tight end, as we've mentioned multiple times. I do think they'll be involved in a receiver and be a play at, at receiver. I think the O'Keefe kid from Central Florida that went in on Monday is pretty interesting. Austin mentioned the kid from Oregon who was in the transfer portal as a possible name that Tennessee may dive into and look at. Um, now that he's officially in the portal, um, you know, everybody's going to ask about running back. I don't know. I don't, I mean, if there was a great running back perhaps, but I don't think there's a great one that's going to jump in the portal. I don't, so I don't know that Tennessee goes there and then we'll see where they are Austin with defensive backs and linebackers as you move forward with this thing. One thing you got to remember, excuse me. The one thing you got to remember is when you take a kid in the portal, there is, uh, a trickle-down effect with your current roster and or recruits. So, like, let's say Tennessee decided to go after a linebacker. That's probably going to hurt your cause with Arion Carter. It just is. Like, I, I know fans sometimes don't understand that, but there's a trickle-down effect. If you go after a running back, Jalen Wright, Jabari Small, all of a sudden become possibilities to go to the portal because, you know, they're not trying to get replaced. And so it's one of those kind of cat-and-mouse games 
do you you know do you want to get better if you do you want to go that route but if you know just realize that there might be a defection off your team in response to the addition you have and remember too there's another window um i don't, I don't have that date guys you can help me out but it's after it's in the spring well, right around spring practice as well yeah there there is and again i mean austin's right you, you got to be very cautious and, and and not chase everything out there um, because if you chase, if you chase everything, you, you better make sure the guy that you're chasing's definitely better than what you have on your roster. Because if it's just a guy Rob to fill an open spot to create depth, you may end up ultimately hurting your depth because it may send somebody into the pool or it may have a recruit decide to take another visit. Uh, this is a really interesting balancing time. I think for coaches, this is, I don't think I'd be sleeping a whole lot if I were a head coach right now trying to figure out how to manage all this because there's a lot of there's a lot of lanes merging together in a short window here, Rob. Well, I just I just think it's probably, I mean, it, if you're not talking about just getting ready to play a tough game, I think it's going to be the craziest time of the year for coaches. Um, you know, I, mean, I think Tennessee's in a pretty good spot because they're, I mean, they basically have two guys on the board, you know, right AP that you know that they're really currently recruiting, so they have a ton of kids to evaluate, but. I just I mean, like AP said, I don't think it's like, like a lot of fans think where you look at a guy's stats and highlights and automatically offer him and try to get him on your program because of what AP is saying. And I think that you double down on that if you're a coach like Josh Heupel, who I think rightly so talks a lot about the culture inside his program, talks a lot about how, you know, tight, you know, kids are with each other, how much trust there is. I mean, if you're I mean, it's not exactly, a, you know, maybe a perfect metaphor, but I mean, if you're a physician coach that's talking about how much you love your room and then you're, you know, you, you leave your meeting room and you go call three, three transfers that you're looking to come in and, you know, move ahead of kids on your depth chart for the guys that you just got done talking about, you know, how, how close everybody was. It, I mean, it can send some mixed messages and I mean, I, the relationship aspect of it, I, I think with the current team, the current assistants is, is a dynamic that I don't think a lot of fans take into account. It's like no. driving on Kingston Pike at about two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. It's congested. Yeah, there's a lot of backups. You got to find some detours. Uh, it's a, a lot is going on right now. There's a lot of people flipping each other birds. Yeah. There's a lot of people trying to merge into overtop of each other. Like that Hardin Valley exit at five fifteen. Are Are you saying Kingston Pike between let's say Krispy Kreme and Sequoia Hills, Eric? That spot right there. Now that's the the not so sweet spot that that I'm talking about. That's only the inside joke that you get here because every week about two fifteen we get the text. Hey guys, really bad, really bad traffic coming from the house. I'll be there in just a second. We're gonna to take the Rocky Top Roundtable. There is a lot of bad traffic on Kingston Pike, but there's a lot of bad traffic going on right now in in college in college sports. Because here's the other thing too with the portal, um, it's not like you've had a year to recruit guys. Okay, now if you know them. Okay, the O'Keefe kid, right? Austin, Central Florida guy. Josh Heupel knows all about that guy, right? Or Gene Baptiste. Right. And you look at Gerald Mincy from a year ago. They knew – I mean, Glenn Ellerby knew him because he recruited him to Central yeah. Florida. But but a guy that you haven't had a relationship with, you're going to get one, maybe two opportunities to meet him, and then you've got to decide, A, is he good enough to help us? B, is he the right fit? And see what's the repercussions of him coming or not coming to your school, and you got to you got to make that decision in a very quick window. That's that's a tough that's a tough deal. I'm telling you. Well, Robert, you, we haven't even mentioned nil yet, and how yeah. that you know, how that might affect you know egos and and hurt feelings and stuff in, in a meeting room. 
that's what people don't understand. They don't understand that every player across America at every school across America is picking up the phone, calling their collective saying, I need more money. I need more money. I need more money. It doesn't matter if they caught one pass, 101 passes, 201 passes. They're picking up the phone and saying, I need more. I need more. I need more. If you don't, I'm going to the portal. And it's just, it's, it's constant. It never ends. And, you know, the, the NIL part of all this is maybe the most, you know, diabolical part of it because a lot of it is a guessing game if you're a coach or you're the collective and said player says, hey, I can go to the portal and you know, I've been told this is the dollar figure that I could get elsewhere. Okay, go ahead. Or, uh, you know, what do I do? Like, I mean, it's a, it's a cat and mouse game. It's a big old game of chicken and throw yep. in the fact too, Eric, everybody who is going in the portal. You just don't want to be Biff hubs. You don't want to be Biff and go into the, into the, to the truck of manure. Basically <laughs> what it boils down to. You, you, you're exactly right. And, and, and remember everybody who's already in the portal that you have some interest in, their opening salvo question to you when you have a conversation with them is going to be, what do you got for me? And it's, and, and it's not how many catches am I going to get? How many, how many passes are going to be thrown my way? What's the depth chart look like? Rob, that question is translation. What kind of money do you have for me? And the second thing they're going to say is I've got this, I've got X amount from, from school Y and you've got no way in the world to know if that's true or not. That's right. I mean, it's not like you can, it's not like Tennessee can pick up the phone and call the collective at Auburn and say, Hey, you know, what'd you guys offer this kid? You know, cause he's saying blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's, do you, and, and do trust you know me, I mean? that goes on all the time. And, and, the, and, and again, this is not knocking fans, but the common fan, the common fan doesn't really understand any of this. Like, you know, me common fans that have come up to me and said, Nico's not really getting $8 million, is he? That's not real, is it? Like, and it's a lot. It's a lot of fans that, that say the same thing. So, like, it's it's one of those things where, like, I don't think the fans truly grasp how much money is involved on a monthly basis at every collective, at every school across the country, because these kids want more and more and more. Just like, guess what? The coaches, you know, Philip Fulmer, what was he making hubs when he got fired? And what does the head coach here make now? What does the head coach at Alabama make now compared to 2004? It, everything goes up, up, up. Well, the cost of business gets more and more Eric Kane each and every year. And remember, it just means more in this league, which means a lot more money. It does. And, uh, you know, I was going to say this a moment ago, but you kind of brought it up there. I mean, you know, people like to complain about how coaches make too much money. I mean, I'm in the minority when I say this. They don't get paid enough dealing with all this crap i mean it is it is so much more football is the simplest part of it all I, mean, it I, really I would is. say they 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 do make enough the problem is is like i, I just don't want to hear them complain about it like yeah. i don't want like you're making a, a a king's ransom i i get you gotta deal with headaches on a daily basis and they're a fifteen thousand different headaches from fifteen thousand different directions mm -hmm. but they do get paid super well especially the head coaches now some of those assistant coaches that are, have to deal with some of the minutiae, yeah. maybe they need the, the, the gripe for more money. 
So a lot going on right now in terms of the transfer portal, uh, you know, Tennessee to the Orange Bowl, the college football playoff field is set. Of course, no surprise once USC lost, Georgia won, Michigan at two, TCU at three, Ohio State at four. <laughs> you got a you got a semifinal round of Georgia and Ohio State. Oh, that just cracks me up in Michigan and TCU. But also this weekend, uh, five official visitors, four commits. And then a guy you mentioned earlier, Austin, Arian Carter. What's the latest with Tennessee and Arian Carter? How did this weekend go? Look, the weekend went well. Uh, Tennessee made up quite a bit of ground. Now, again, back to Alabama this weekend. So Alabama's got a chance to steal it right back away. Um, you know, but, you know, Tennessee did a really nice job with Arian Carter this weekend. I think it helps them that he was surrounded by Caleb Herring, Elijah Herring, other in-state kids. Um, you know, his parents were surrounded by – you know, you know the, the Herring brothers' mother, Tiffany. Um, you know, I, I think that that's a nice feather in Tennessee's cap uh, for the official visit because you know people. You, you're sitting there conversing with not strangers, but people you you know have known for several years, um, and your two kids play you know on the same seven on seven team together. So I think that's a nice feather in Tennessee's cap. Again, I think Tennessee made up a ton of ground. Did they make up enough? Um, I would call them even with Alabama. Alabama will get the last shot, and then what does it boil down to on the decision? Is he making the call? Is it a group decision with his mom and his dad? And who, who you know, who, who's calling the shots here? Uh, to me, is the biggest question as we head into the uh, final official visit with Alabama. And uh, another question in terms of we we expect you said this in the Rocky Top uh, Rewind. We expect a lot of transfer visits, of course, but in terms of before national before national signing day from the prep side. Not a whole lot of movement there from now until signing day, would you imagine? No, it's just Elijah Davis this weekend. Um, no. I don't think Tennessee's, as of right now, has no plans to bring in anybody else between now and, and signing day from that. But I do think that they'll bring in um, a transfer. But, but the only other potential, the only other potential out there is Larry Johnson the third, and that's the junior college offensive yeah. lineman that Glenn Ellerby kind of. I mean, he didn't – I mean, Tennessee was a surprise to me that Tennessee offered because you hadn't heard his name. But he, he received an offer on Saturday. Uh, in my communication with him, he has expressed an interest in, in visiting here in the next couple of weeks. Um, but we'll see if that pans out, if that – where that thing goes from there. Uh, a little bit surprised by that offer. Junior college offensive linemen are, are, can be, you know, high risk, you know, in terms of how quickly they can contribute or can they contribute. Um, JJ Crawford played this year, right? And, and so, I mean, there, there's it exactly, was year two, it was, it was year two. So, we'll see and learn more about Larry Johnson, uh, moving forward. But that would be the only other potential guy that seems to be out there right now that they would bring in who's not in a transfer situation. Last thing we want to get into here on this edition of the VolQuest podcast with plenty of football conversation that's crossover season, Tennessee basketball. Now it's seven and one on the year. A win over Alcorn State on Sunday evening, easy ninety-four to forty. Uh, Rob, no Santiago Vescovi in that in that basketball game, but Josiah Jordan James made his return. Although his knee soreness sounds like it's going to be game by game by game. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm really not sure what to make of the Josiah thing. I mean, Santi was is really minor. Uh, I'm, I think if it was a conference game, he probably would have played yesterday. Josiah, to me, I mean, the best news was he just he, he looked fine. Um, running around out there. I mean, he obviously, you know, I think was a little rusty in terms of basketball skills, but, you know, didn't look like he was favoring the knee. looked like he was moving okay. Talked about it after the game. And I'm, I'm not sure how big of a deal to make of it yet. I'd like to see him play some, you know, several games in a row, see if he gets back in the groove. Uh, but, you know, 
I don't want to make too big of a deal of it until we get into conference play and really see, you know, how he handles the grind. If it is an issue, does it get better? Because and it's been a mystery to Tennessee people because there's you, nobody's questioned Josiah. I mean, at, at all. I mean, I'm not saying that, but they just can't really find anything structurally wrong with it to to explain the problems he's having and you know, kind of segue it out of that. I think I think Tennessee's playing great basketball right now. They're factored. They're doing it without him. You know, I, I think says quite a bit uh, about the depth on this team because even even with Josiah not playing, I mean, Jamai Meshack is. I mean, I, I, he was going to play anyway, but I, I think they found out some things with Jamai Meshack they probably wouldn't have found out if Josiah was playing twenty eight minutes a game. Um, I mean, he's you talking about picking up some slack. I, I think they're in a, they're in a great spot with him, and I think the downside of having Josiah miss so much time is it's it's. Tennessee can beat teams, but they, I can't. I don't think they can really figure out what they are, like what everybody's role is going to be, what your defined minutes are, and all that until he's fully back in the mix. And Tennessee will continue to try to figure that out. We'll see about the health and status, what Josiah looks like, and of course Santiago Vescovi. Uh, tomorrow night, Eastern Kentucky. That game will be at seven o'clock. It'll be on the SEC network. Hey, that's going to do it for this round of the Volquest podcast for Brent Hubbs, Austin Price, Rob Lewis. I'm Eric Kane. Really appreciate you guys for hanging out with us here today. Get in your mailbag questions for Thursday's edition of the podcast that's coming up. We'll have it pinned on the board, so get in all those questions. And don't forget, if you're looking for a late Christmas gift for your children, for your friends, for your parents, whatever, uh, that Tennessee fan in your life, it's a $10 subscription to VolQuest.com. Make that your final stocking stuffer. you still got some time. $10 for one year of coverage at VolQuest.com. Make it happen. Uh, For the guys, I'm Eric Kane. Appreciate it. We'll be back on Thursday. And until then, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, everybody. You've been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.